Hi, and welcome to the Involved Company Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Gonzalez-Sander, and every Wednesday, I host No BS Conversations with women of color about the intersections of race, identity, and our cultural upbringings with, well, everything else. And so, yes, you did hear that right. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, we are now dropping new episodes on Women of Color Wednesdays. Yes, I just made that up. Yes, that feels more aligned for dropping new episodes, right? So anyway, I'm very excited for this change. It is going to help me personally immensely. And if you haven't listened to this podcast before, welcome. This is a lifestyle podcast made for women of color to talk about everything from self-development, well-being, finances, spirituality. And today's topic is creating and defining your own path. Wow. Yes. (laughs) If you are somebody that is struggling to figure out how you want your life to look like, this episode is for you. So maybe you just graduated from college or you're in between careers or you don't like your job and you're trying to figure out what it is that you want to do. This episode is definitely for you. And today's guest is Christy Drutman, who is the founder of Brown Girl Green, a podcast and media series about environmentalism. But she's also aware of many hats from activist to teacher to content creator to consultant. And maybe you've heard of her. She is part of a collective called Intersectional Environmentalist. You might have shared something from their Instagram page. I know that I had previously before I got introduced to Christy. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because Christy dropped some serious insight on what it means to create your own path as you move through the world. And I think it's going to be a really encouraging conversation for you to listen to, but I'm just so grateful to have had her on because one of my favorite things about hosting a podcast is being able to see where a conversation might take us. And this one was just so surprising and has left me feeling so good and I think that that's how you're going to feel also. So without further ado, let's get into the episode and just a note, I would love, 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 love your support. If you like this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and then stick around until the end of the episode to figure out how you can win our monthly giveaway. All right, let's dive in. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to have you and talk to you about all things sustainability and just get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here also. This is so great. (laughs) So I guess for those that might not know who you are or like the work that you do, how would you describe who you are in a professional sense? Yeah. So hi, everyone who's listening. My name is Christy Drutman. I am the host and founder of my podcast and media series on Instagram and beyond called Brown Girl Green, which is focused on highlighting the work of environmental leaders of color. 
and also talking about creative solutions to the climate crisis. So from a professional standpoint, I technically call myself a professional content creator, but I'm also a consultant for different environmental companies and organizations who want to do digital media strategy or to also improve their diversity, equity, and inclusion practices. And I also teach students at UC Berkeley about oh, how to cool. <laughs> about how to use social media for social change. So yeah, I wear like three different hats like content creation, teacher, and consultant. That's awesome. That is actually how I emailed you, duh. I was like, wait, I didn't I email you off of your UC Berkeley email at first? <laughs> I was like, wait, that makes more sense. Um, and I decided like I wanted to ask people, like, how do you define who you are in a professional sense? But on the flip side of that, I think it's also really interesting to talk about who you might be in like your personal life. So mm. yeah, you know, like obviously people can look up your work and get to know you that way. But is there another way that you feel like you define yourself outside of the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I would say like outside of the work that I do, I'm just like a really bubbly person. I think I'm very optimistic, but I'm also like pragmatic. Like I really get joy out of figuring out how to find like real solutions to things, whether that be like interpersonally, professionally, and like in the world. So I think I'm just like one of those people that has held on to my childlike curiosity of the world. Yes, love that. Yeah. And sometimes people think I'm like 15 when I'm like 25. <laughs> you know, not just because Asian don't raisin, but also just like I have a <laughs> lot of energy. And people are like, how do you have this much energy in your mid 20s? And I'm like, because I've been through some BS and <laughs> I had to learn how to look for the good in the world. Mm-hmm. And that, in my opinion, made me like fight for joy, has made me fight for optimism in a world that like teaches us like, you know, we're not allowed to do that or that's something that's commodifiable. And so from a personal sense, like I'm on a mission outside of, you know, talking about environmental issues to teach people, you know, the power that they hold inside themselves. And yeah, because I've had to fight through, you know, my own share of issues to figure that out along the way too. I love that. I'm definitely like you. I don't know where exactly I get it. And my mom's a little bit like that too. Very optimistic. You know, we try to see the good in things even when things might be really hard. And, you know, I think it's, it helps us be really resilient in that way. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a Filipino thing. (laughs) I, I mean, know. there's like the toxic positivity, right? Yes. That like Filipinos are like, bahala na, you know, it's like, you know, like you have to just let life be, like smile through the pain. But that can be like unhealthy when we're like pretending mental health's not a real thing, you know? Yes, agree. But it's also like, there's some lessons to glean from that kind of like mentality though too, where it's like, yeah, sometimes like life does just feel like a mess, but it's like important that like we remember that we're stronger than we actually think we are to like get through those things. I w- I learned a lot through physical exercise because I was never like a big exercise person, but in like the past year or so, 
I really learned like when I'm like, oh my gosh, this workout's killing me. But then you get to the other side because you push yourself and you're like, wow, I didn't even know my body could do that. Like, I think that's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think about that in like a lot of different aspects of life that like, I think sometimes people don't take a chance on themselves to realize how like resilient they actually are. And I love that. Yes. No, I agree. And a lot of it is kind of how we've been conditioned to think and just the lessons that we've learned from external, you know, our environments, right? It's like, depending on how you grew up and just the circumstances that you were in, you learn about these things, right? About like, whether you look at things half full or half empty. And I think that perspective is something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially, you know, knowing like that, I, I know that I learned that from my mom and just kind of trying to understand that a little bit more. And Mm -hmm. so what was like, where did you grow up? Are you from California? Yeah. So I grew up in um, Southern California and I grew up in a really Republican conservative hometown, like in Riverside County in the Inland Empire. And growing up, I was one of like the very few Filipinos I knew Mm. and like my entire area. Like I did not grow up with like other Filipinos, which I think makes my like, I don't know, things I identify with my Filipino culture different than other Filipino Americans. Cause I didn't grow up like going to these like community events and like my family's not even from Manila. So we don't even like have some similar, you know, traditions that like Mm -hmm. other Filipino Americans here have. Cause most of them come from Manila, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, there was like always a disconnect where I was like, yeah, I'm Filipino. I know about it through the food, but like, I don't really know what that means. And growing up, it was, you know, I grew up in a mixed race household. My family overall was like relatively progressive, but I mean, yeah, that was like pretty much like the environment I grew up in. And then, you know, I lived there all the way until I was 18 years old when I like moved to the Bay Area to go to UC Berkeley for college. And Mm -hmm. that was, complete 360 from what I grew up in. <laughs> yeah. What was that like for you? Kind of going oh from God. this place from like no Filipinos and yeah. then going to UC Berkeley. Yeah. Like so many Filipinos. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, what? And it was the first time that I actually learned that like being Filipino was like a legit marginalized identity to be completely honest. Like, yeah. I always, let's talk like, about I, it. You know, like I experienced microaggressions, which I didn't even realize till I was older growing up. Like I was bullied. I experienced a lot of bullying as a kid, which was really hard. But I thought that was just, you know, being a young woman and just like what you deal with. But it was also just like there was, you know, layers with like my racial identity tied in there. But mm-hmm. anyway, once I got to college, it was like this weird thing where there was a program at UC Berkeley I think it was EOP. I'm like forgetting the name of the acronym it was, but it was basically for students that like were from traditionally marginalized backgrounds that you could get like certain financial assistance and resources and things like that. And anyways, I saw on that list, like Filipino was specifically listed as like an identity on there of like being marginalized. And I always viewed myself, I guess, like categorized with like other East Asians of like having like Asian privilege. And I was like top of my class and like, I don't know. My mom never like made us feel like we were, you know, like, I don't know. I guess you could say like not equal to like my white peers. Like she Mm -hmm. definitely did a really huge service of like embedding in us that like we could be anything we want. Like she never 
was like, oh, because you're like an Asian woman, like things are going to be hard for you. Like she never yeah. said anything like that to me. And she herself like moved from the Philippines to the US by like pretty much by herself with her sister. Like wow. it wasn't like she was following some man, like she was doing her own thing. And so like I grew up with like a really strong like female figure in my mm-hmm. life. I think that, that really influenced me to not, I don't want to say like be colorblind, but it was kind of like I never really until I was older realized the barriers that I was going to like face in my career potentially as a woman mm-hmm. of color. Like I never thought like that when I was a kid. And so it was one of those things where like I would compete against the white men in my class. Like I didn't care. I spoke up. I challenged them, all these things. And then it wasn't until I got to college that I was like, whoa, Filipinos a marginalized identity. And then I went to this conference. It was like an environmental conference in this. I don't remember what her ethnicity exactly was, but she was a brown woman. She comes up to me. This is freshman year of college, like first semester. And she's like, She's like, oh, you're like trying to get into environmental work, all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, like I'm super excited about it. It seems really interesting. And she's like, just so you know, this is going to be a long and hard journey ahead of you. And it was like the first time in my life someone had ever told me that, like straight up, like to my face directly like that. And it really bothered me. Like I got so upset. Yeah, like like, how did that affect the way that you were thinking about being in environmentalism then? Because, you know, it sounds like – like growing up, your mom was never like, you might, you know, have barriers or anything like that. You know, she seemed like she was really encouraging and a super strong female figure for you. And then to have someone say that where you just like, wait, what? Yeah, no, it was really alarming and weird to me. But then it became apparent that she was right. (laughs) Once like, once things started, not like right in the fact that like, you should just be defined by like, statistics or like the fact that like, you are going to be the only like, I really fight against that. Like, I really am like, no way, like, regardless, you like you have a place and you deserve to be in these spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that I'm really glad at a young age, like, I had instilled in me. But then in college, and as I started getting into the environmental field, like it was the first time I ever had like the experience of being in a room where like I was standing next to like my white male peer and all the people after a panel only went to go talk to him and like wouldn't talk to me. Really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, what? And that was like the first time where I was like, this is starting to get weird, um, where I'm starting to feel like this weird disparity. And then it got even more apparent when I experienced severe burnout my sophomore year of college. Mm -hmm. So after doing a lot of activism, all this stuff, I like was like, I don't even want to do school anymore. Like I was like, on a like a mental spiral, like it was really bad. And I remember confessing to like, one of like my peers in the environmental field, like about what I was struggling through. And they were just like, you know, this is a part of the work that is in activism. So like, if you can't do this, like you need to like, figure it out, basically, like Mm. really credited my mental health. Like it was very much like, okay, like, like, like are you just supposed to burn out and do all these things and not take care of yourself? I feel like people that are, you know, in activism need to take the most care of themselves yeah. We're fighting all day long against systems and yeah. like long standing, you know, quote, 
traditions or whatever you want to call it. And you're like fighting. I feel like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it was it was bad. But then it was like, again, I realized like then at the beginning of things in that time, I was like, oh, like this is another thing that's coming up that I didn't realize was an issue. Mm. And I think once I brought it up to my mom that I was struggling with mental health issues, that was when it was like, they don't talk about that in Filipino (laughs) families. Like it was really taboo. Like I felt really embarrassed and Mm -hmm. awkward and ashamed that like I had reached this point in my life where like I couldn't function. And that is when I realized these like barriers of being a woman of color, like subtle, like it's like that, Mm -hmm. like the world puts its pressure on you. You feel like you have to work so much harder than the people around you yep, just to get twice as hard. Yeah, just to get noticed. And that was when I was like, oh shit, I get it now what that woman was telling me. Like it wasn't about like, yeah, of course you can have the mindset and want to like, you're totally equal and like probably even better, you know, whatever. Like if you work hard, you have the knowledge, you have the potential to thrive no matter what, no matter your identity, whatever. But then like, there's still all these biases these institutions hold, all of these financial barriers, all of the perceptions and expectations of women of color in our society that no matter, I, I consider it like a wall, like it, whether you hit it when you're a kid, in your young adulthood, your adulthood, maybe when you're like even get super wealthy and like someone racially profiles you, like you're going to hit a wall as a person of color at some point because this yes. is how the world has been designed as of now. I really like how you're describing it though, because sometimes I think that there are, it's sometimes it's just like not right in your face. You know what I mean? Some of these things are just, and there's, it's so hard to kind of pinpoint certain things. Like, for example, it's like, okay, for you, you're like, I, I already was going into the world with a mentality that I could pretty much do anything. It sounds like that's how your mom encouraged you to be. Like, yeah. you can do it. Like, get out there and, like, you're smart, you're capable. Yes. And then it's like all these things start happening and we have yeah. to start remembering the intersectional piece of all of it, right? And that's new language, really, for a lot of us. Like, this idea of intersectionalism is not something that we grew up hearing all the time as kids or even for me, like in college, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until college for myself. Also, when I started thinking a little bit more about my identity and like realizing like all these like weird things, but you can't even like, you don't even have the language to describe what it is. And you just feel weird and confused. Exactly. Like, I felt really like even growing up, like, I mean, part of like outside of being like bullied and experiencing that, like I always felt like an outsider. Like I always felt like there was something wrong with me, you know, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until I got to college and started noticing all these things and exploring my identity of understanding like, no, it's purposely designed to make me feel that way. Like I somehow like circumvented a system that like wanted to make me not feel great about like who I was, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, for people listening, like it is very subtle. Like it's not necessarily like people call you a chink or something or like, you know, what's happened. Even though like whatever, (laughs) offensive thing, call you exotic, like, whatever 
whatever. You know, those mm-hmm. are the obvious things, trying to touch your hair, all those things. But then it's these subtle things that are more painful, these things of like genuinely feeling this like inadequacy, even though you fight against it. And like people reinforcing that inadequacy, whether it be like, like just like not being able to be viewed as like on the same level as your peers and like being spoken over and just like having to deal with not having the privilege of taking unpaid work or taking unpaid work Mm. and feeling broken about it. Oh my gosh. Snaps. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of unpaid internships because I had a mother who was, you know, willing to like still like help me out and financially support me when I was in university and like made a lot of sacrifices for me to do that. I think in terms of taking unpaid work, I don't know how it felt for you, but for me, it kind of felt like, you know, for me, it was kind of like, I would probably do anything. Like I, I worked three jobs all through college. Like I took an unpaid internship so I could get like experience in the field that I wanted to be in. And then also I had two other jobs to actually pay for my life in school. Yeah. And so, and you know, my family also helped me out a little bit. So it wasn't like I was totally on my own, but I don't know for you, like, did you feel like you had a certain mentality about like, I have to work really hard and like do really well in school and just be really great. Basically. Like it's this idea of being like, no one says perfect. I don't, my mom never looked at me and was like, you must be perfect. You know what I mean? Perfect. It's like meeting this expectation of like fulfilling the American dream or like fulfilling the, you know, you're going to have a good job. You're going to be able to take care of yourself, maybe have a family, all these things. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like my path was like counterintuitive to that, like, you know, environmental jobs on like, I don't know, from the forefront, it's not like becoming a doctor or a lawyer, like you're not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make six figures out of college with this, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was one of those things where I really felt like followed my passions, but then felt this like really conflicting force of like, am I going to be a disappointment to my family because no one in my family does environmental work. There's a lot of just like my parents feeling concerned, like not knowing like what kind of job I was going to get after mm-hmm. I graduated. Mm-hmm. You know, my family even kind of, de- de- I don't want to say devaluing, like my family just like asking me a lot of questions about like, what does my work even mean? Like why work on environmental things? Like really like questioning you know, what I was doing. And I mean, ultimately, over the past few years, like they've definitely come around and become a lot more supportive. But that was hard in college, because it just made me feel constantly like I'm doing something wrong. Mm. Like, I'm not like studying something that's like very like, I don't know, straightforward or like, guarantee me a perfect salary and it's gonna guarantee me x, y and z thing that would make my family feel comfortable with me, you know? Yes. And and that's it. Right. It's the idea that like they feel comfortable with you knowing, I guess it's coming from like a place of, do I know that my child will be taken care of in the future so that they don't have to struggle as hard as I did, which I totally understand. Right. Like they're coming at it from a completely different point of view. And we're coming at it from like, this is what I'm really interested in. This is what I'm passionate about. Like, I think I can make money from this. And 
you know, you're just kind of trying to figure things out because you don't yeah. want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Well, yeah, you know, you're like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So it was like one of those things where I was like, well, why am I not allowed to be like a Filipino environmentalist? Like who's doing that work, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it was this whole thing of like, there reached a point where I was like, I need to just define my own path for myself. My family's going to love me because I luckily come from a very loving family. Not everyone has that. And I was like, you know, I think I need to struggle through these things because I'm creating opportunities to make it easier for someone else down the line who like wants to do this too. Because like, Mm -hmm. I didn't have anyone. Like I had mentors, luckily that I found through like research and like grinding and literally putting in the work to find that network. And now like, I'm hoping that like things can be easier for other people that want to do this stuff. And there's going to be a space and, you know, support for that because I didn't have that Mm -hmm. at all. So yeah. How do you feel like you've been able to define your own path? Because I think a lot of people feel that same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, especially like our generation, like not wanting to do this whole like automatic, like nine to five thing, like realizing that like work should not be like your whole life. And I mean, we're really like redefining things in real time. Like as we speak, like so many people are like quitting their jobs, going freelance, making their own businesses. Like it's so cool, but you know, it's going to change like the future of work for sure. And I think that that's inspiring to me because I'm like, okay, you know, I feel like I'm flailing right now, but that means millions of other people are feeling that way too, because they're also trying to do this. And like, that's kind of exciting, you know? Because we're all trying to challenge this paradigm because like I don't work like a nine to five job anymore like I used to, but I don't do that anymore. Like I do things on my own terms. I make my own hours and schedule and like that's great, but it can also feel so like weird because it's like, oh my gosh, like can I take myself seriously um, if I'm not in this nine to five structure you know, thing that makes other people feel comfortable with my response. And eventually you have to reach a point in your life where you're like, you have to stop caring if what you say about what you do makes other people feel comfortable or not. You have to feel comfortable with it. And I think that's something I'm still working through even to this day. But I think when carving your own path, it's just about figuring out like, how do you want to be of service to other people? Like what do you want your day-to-day life to like actually look like and what are the tools and like resources you need to get there? And that doesn't necessarily mean making your passion into your job. I honestly don't think people should do that unless like you really see yourself doing that. Like I think it's kind of like unrealistic for every person to make their passion their job because from my experience, even of like, I guess you could say trying to make my passion my job. Mm -hmm. Like there's been times where like, I've been too focused on like the money and too focused on how am I going to sustain myself? But those are real questions, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, like that makes you lose the joy and like what you're doing. And so I just caution people to not feel like pressure that you have to have a passion and you have to turn that passion into a job. It's a matter of like, if you are going to stay in your nine to five, what are other ways you're going to break out of this paradigm of having to feel stagnant or feeling like your life just has to be like the same routine every single day? And I think even that is breaking out of the nine to five cycle 
mm-hmm. and making your own path for yourself, whether that's volunteering for an organization you care about, developing a hobby that excites you. Like, I think all of those things can still allow you to like follow your own path and Ooh. figure out what that is for yourself. I really like what you said about not having, I think there's a lot of language out there for people to be like, follow your passions and yeah. like make that your job and like monetize your passion basically is what it's yeah. really saying. And it's like, yeah. if you do that, it does take away the joy because you're really putting yourself in a position to make that thing yeah. your like responsible for your well being and your bills yeah. and your life. Yeah. And that takes the joy away from it. And I think if you're looking for a job, I think it's better to just be excited about what you do. So like, for example, I think in the beginning, you said that you really like thinking about how to solve problems and like how to find solutions to things. And that doesn't necessarily equate to like a particular job. You could actually do that in many different industries Mm -hmm. and I think that's a, a really important distinction that people can reframe the way that, you know, society describes and talks about these things because you're totally right. Carving a path doesn't need to be like, oh my God, I have to like start a business about, I don't know, whatever X, Y, Z thing and like be super yeah. successful and like do all that stuff. Right. Like yeah. your path yeah, could be something yeah. totally different. Yeah, because like statistically, almost like majority of businesses fail, you know, Mm -hmm. so like put all of your eggs into the basket of your passion and making that a business. I mean, you can definitely do it. I'm not discouraging anyone to do it. Like, please do it. Like we need people who are passionate and putting their passion into their life's work. I think that's so important. But I think at the same time, like, just be realistic about it. Like, I don't know. I guess for brown people out there that are like creatives and trying to figure out how to do this, like what I'm trying to do or what I've been doing is like I focus on like making sure I get my bills paid, making sure I have enough like of a safety net um, to not be in debt and to support myself. And then I like support my like creative endeavor is like, do not just quit all your jobs when you're in debt and like go pursue a creative path, you can do that. But that's like some like non-brown people stuff, in my opinion. I'm that like, makes your life a lot freaking like, harder. I'm not going to want to pay for my art. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't want to put that on my freaking immigrant mother who's already sacrificed like everything to like, okay, then have to support me through this too. Like, yeah, go do that. But please don't put the burden on your parents or your family to support that. Like. I just think that like you have to be responsible if you are going to do that. And that doesn't mean, oh my gosh, I have to make X amount of money until I can pursue my creative passion. That's not true either. Like you can do both simultaneously. I just think from my perspective of having to navigate all of this, being able to like be able to sustain myself while also working on like creative stuff has felt like a really good balance. Mm. Because then I'm like, okay, I don't feel all this pressure to be like, oh my gosh, like, I'm like, not able to sustain myself. I feel all this guilt from like my immigrant family. And then I also like, am able to not feel guilty that like, oh, I just focused so much on this job that like, I didn't make any time for like, what I really want to do. So yeah, there's like a there's like a very delicate, nuanced balance as with everything, right? It's like, I agree with you, because I feel 
right now I feel sustained in my full-time job and doing work for Inbold is so important to me because I think these are really important conversations to have and specifically through the lens of women of color and how we move through the world. But at the same time, like I don't need to quit my job right now because yeah. my boss is really nice and she might listen to this because she really supports the work that I do. And yeah. she's like down with giving me the flexibility to do these things. And yeah, I know that I'm in a very lucky position. And you're right, though, you can do things simultaneously. And you just yeah. kind of have to figure out what's going to work best for you. And I think that is also the thing about defining your own path, right? Yeah. It's not about, okay, well, like, this person did it this way, you could try that. And maybe it might not work yeah. for you. And you got to yeah. figure out what, how it's going to work for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, what I do now to be able to sustain myself and do this work, like, is nothing I imagined when I graduated college. Like, yeah, at all. probably not. Like, probably literally like, not at you're all. You're going to have a following on social media. You're going to work at UC Berkeley. You're going to teach people at UC Berkeley about how to use social media. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, like, wait, what's happening? Yeah, like, so I just want to tell people, too, it's about, like, just, like, being open, like, is so important. And, like, I think I'm still learning and figuring out how to, like, do that. And I, yeah, I just want to say to people, like, that's how I've been able to do it, how I've been able to, like, sustain the life that I'm I'm living right now. And I think it's definitely allowed me a space to not feel like someone else is dictating my destiny. And, like, similar to you, like, the people that I do work with, outside of what I do on Brown Girl Green, like are such nice people. They value my work. They value my whole self. And I think for those listening, like if you can be so lucky as to work in a workplace that allows you to bring your whole self there, like that's rare and that's special. And I think it's about just becoming clear on like what you want, putting it out, writing it down, and like really trying to figure out if you interview places and stuff, like how does that actually align for you? And, you know, if you do have the talent and the ability and several options, like don't just settle for any job. And obviously, like that's a privilege, of course, to say that. But I think there is something to say too that like if a place doesn't really like feel like it's going to value you, like you have every right to like not take that job. And maybe like for some people, they don't have a choice and they're just going to take that job regardless. And like that's fine too. But just to like keep that in the back of your head down the line that like you have opportunities and there are people out there that are going to align with you. So like don't give up on yourself and what you want just because Mm -hmm. like someone told you that this is the way it works. Mm -hmm. And is that what you mean by being open? Like just kind of being open to the possibilities that are out there? Yeah, because I worked in a nonprofit nine to five for two years And I had a horrible experience. I was very undermined for my creativity, for like what I brought to the table. They like, you know, threatened me with like what What? I was doing. Not like, not in a violent way. They were like, it was like, they didn't like that I was doing stuff outside of work. You know, it was very much this whole space of like, of feeling like I was restricted in a lot of ways and I couldn't bring my whole self to that workplace. And it Mm. felt very painful. It was really horrible. And so 
you know, now like basically that job ended up like laying off a bunch of people, including me. And it was a tough time being unemployed, like towards the end of 2019. But then like it allowed me in the past year and a half to like discover all these things about myself and like to find these workplaces that do value me along with the work that I do now. And so that's suffice to say, I'm just saying that like I've gone on like a really winding road of figuring these things out. And when I was working in that nine to five, I thought, oh, well, if I don't work here, I'm not going to have value somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. like if I, don't, if I don't work in this place, in this kind of structure, like, oh, what do I bring to the table? And it's like, that's really limited hard. thinking. Yeah, very limited thinking. So yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you define success today? Like for you, like right now? It's a great question. I think I'm still trying to figure that out. I guess like what I'm trying to decide define success as now is like the service that I offer, like the communities that I'm like in community with. I guess that's the way I would say it. Like what service am I bringing to people that's actually helping improve people's lives? Like not just like by following me on social media, but like what is the tangible like services I'm like providing to like help improve organizations and companies and individuals lives. So I think for me, success will be once I like, you know, am able to see how my services are being able to help people, you know, Mm -hmm. like the um, impact that you make. Yeah. So I would say success is defined by the impact I make on other people's lives right now, more than it being like, oh, making X amount of money or like getting X amount of brand partnerships. Like it's more about like actually feeling like people are like, dang, you like changed my life, you know? Yes. I love that because I think in our society, a lot of success is determined by like, making XYZ amount of money or being XYZ thing. And the reason I asked is because, you know, it's just a, a something that I've been thinking about lately is like, how do we as, you know, individuals like you and I define what success means to us? Because yeah. it is like an ever-changing concept, really. Yeah. Success isn't the same thing forever. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a really good point. Like, I think my success when I was younger was definitely like getting into like prestigious schools and like getting the highest level of like degree and like making a ton of money. Like that used to be how I define success. And I think, I think like at the end of the day, like those things are still somewhat in me as important. Like, I'm not trying to say like, I'm kumbaya, like, oh, I don't care about like, making money and like taking care of myself. I don't think that's true. I think that's definitely in me too. But I think I don't want that to be at like the forefront as the most important thing. Mm, Yeah, like your number one priority. Yeah, but I do think like intergenerational wealth is a real thing. And it is really important. And so I do think that that's still something that is important to me too. Because again, like I want to make things easier for other people down the line who want to do this. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, like you need resources. And so, yes. I, so I also think about it like that way too, like as part of my success journey in the future, like I would want to be able to like have the connections and the networks and the resources necessary to like 
yeah, be able to like fund a climate movement that I feel inspired by, you know? Yeah. To like make the point though, that wanting to have money is not a bad thing because in thing. the way in our society, again, it's like, Money equals freedom, right? That means yeah. freedom for you to be able to then open doors for other people. And Literally. that is such a motivation to yeah. make money. And like you can help more people that way. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I will agree with you on this like idea that like money isn't my number one motivation, right? It's not yeah. like my end all be all goal. And it's okay if it is, if that's, you know, if yeah. that's you, like go for it you know like it's okay like we live in we live in a capitalistic society and you actually need money for things so I totally feel yeah but it's it's just this idea that like nothing really is fixed in life definitely not it's just not and like the more I think that we can kind of figure out our flow and how we flow in the world I think the easier things get if that makes sense yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think that like the closer you are to developing that flow, I think you are closer to feeling successful because you're just feeling like at ease with like where you're at in every step of like your journey. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Love to feel at ease. <laughs> yes. It's I'm a nice feeling. Working on it. Lots of layers there for sure. But yes, definitely. I mean, I had the privilege of like living in the Philippines for a minute. You did? Where? I did. So I I did a program back in like 2016. It was called Kaya Collaborative and it brought Filipino Americans back to the Philippines to do social entrepreneurship work. Cool. I wish I could have done that. I've never been to the Philippines. Oh my gosh, you've never been to the Philippines. No, when I go, I want to do like a whole video about going. You like need to go like once this whole thing's done, top place. But anyways, so like I lived there for like three months, three and a half months, and I was doing an internship and was living in Manila, like by my like I lived with a group of girls, but I like traveled there by myself. Was like getting to know my family by myself. Like it was like wow. me just like exploring the Philippines by myself, basically. Yeah, and then I went back to the Philippines on a solo trip last January, too, before the lockdown also. Um, And the reason why I'm bringing all this up is just, like, my connection to my, like, motherland is one of, like, the main things that I think has actually gone me through a lot of difficult times, especially navigating my own path. Because I'm just, like, reminded of, like, who came before me to make it so much easier for me now. So even when things feel difficult, I'm like, wow, but I can't even imagine how much more difficult this was for, like, my ancestors, like, generations back, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you, like, tap into that feeling and you tap into, like, feeling them and knowing them. And there's something about that that just makes me want to keep going. And... I think anyone who has the privilege and the opportunity to trace their lineage, like there is something really powerful about being in like that space, especially for people that are in the diaspora. And when I had the chance to like live there and work there, it definitely like changed my entire life for sure. And even going back last year, you know, I actually got in like a near death accident in the Philippines when I was there. 
really crazy. But it it all kind of, I don't know, but in a weird way now, like, you know, it's literally a year to the day it happened. Like, I think it happened literally this day, like a year ago. Oh my gosh, crazy. I know, it's kind of weird. I think it might have been like yesterday or today. It was somewhere around this time. But anyways, what I learned from that experience, it just like tied it all together to me that like, you have to appreciate your journey wherever you're at, even if you haven't reached X milestone, even if you gone, haven't got X job, reached X amount of money, because you never know like what could happen to you. And yeah, I mean, everyone always says life's short, life's not guaranteed, but like, it's really true. And I think like, yeah, sometimes we forget that in this age of like, information overload and comparing ourselves to other people and feeling like we get so lost from our path. And I just want to remind people as someone who like, has had all these crazy experiences, especially in my own motherland that like, things can be a lot more simple if you just like, ask for help. Like, Mm. from both people that are alive and not alive, like both your like living ancestors, and your non living ancestors. And so, yeah, I just want to tell people that as they're exploring what their path is, that I learned a lot from that as a teaching tool in my journey. I really like that you said both of those things, actually, the asking, like, kind of feeling the power of your ancestors and also just asking for help from the people that are around you. Yeah. I think that's another way to think of yourself as well resourced, right? People think yeah. tend to think it's like money, but it's also about the people that you surround yourself with and the support that you can get from, you know, your friends, your family, your community, whoever is in your space, because that kind of support and that kind of resource can help you in so many other ways that money will never be able to help you. 100%. So, yeah. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I love it. I, I love where we went in this conversation. I was like, oh shit, this is awesome. I love it. I think it's I think it's something that people like really struggle with is yeah. you know, understanding like what is their path? What do they want to do? Like where do they want to where do they want their life to take them? How do yeah. you design the life that you want to live? And you know, everyone's always going to be trying to figure that out. It's yeah. really not an end all be all because things happen all the time. You know, change happens every single day from moment to moment and you never yeah. know what might happen. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I'm like, you know, from the world we live in today. I mean, like today. Yeah. Literally nothing. It's yeah. so crazy. I know. It's like 2021 has been uh you know what three weeks are we three <laughs> weeks into it and it seriously feels like so long already I don't know yeah. no it's it's been tough it's been a tough one already so oh my gosh it seriously has been but today was a great day yes so that's great I feel like that's yeah. why I'm in high spirits you know yeah good vibes good energy um <laughs> so totally. hopefully we can keep carrying that in into the rest of the year. And I don't know, I feel, I feel hopeful. I don't know. How do you feel, Christy, about the future at this exact moment? I think, you know, the amount of people that are starting to understand what environmental justice is, I think, like exploded in the past year. And I'm really excited to see what kind of momentum 
is going to be picked up on around that and also just like what opportunities we have to like pressure this administration to like listen to young people, especially young Black, Indigenous, and people of color voices. And yeah, I feel very hopeful about that. I think there's like starting to be a really big, you know, shift, but I think it's a matter of being aware of like the hatred that still exists in this country today and to remember that like this is gonna this is gonna take a minute and you you need to take care of yourselves and I need to tell myself that every day too. So daily reminders, take care of yourself. A hundred percent. You gotta. You a hundred percent have to do it. Um yeah. I noticed that you did say there are like other like brown, indigenous, people of color, women of color that are kind of in the shift for the movement. Are there any women of color that are inspiring you right now? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. I'm like trying to think off the top of my head now. (laughs) Now I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to like forget people. I mean, yeah, like I just, I want to plug like the group that I'm a part of, Intersectional Environmentalist. There's a lot of like amazing black and brown women that are a part of that group, including myself. And I would also say like, I would really recommend people also check out Black Millennials for Flint, also like a Black-led organization, Black woman-led organization, very awesome space. I would also check out Reclaim Collaborative, which is predominantly women, but there's also men, but it's like a sustainable fashion collective that specifically highlights BIPOC brands and designers. Cool. Cool. I'm an ambassador with Reclaim Collaborative, so definitely check them out too. Those are my plugs for now because my brain. <laughs> like, no, I think those are really good. I haven't heard of the last two. Yeah. So I need to look at it as well. All right. All birds. Y'all, I have to tell you about them because not only do they make the world's most comfortable shoes using natural materials, they care about their community. And that is so refreshing. Recently, they asked me to join their global community of changemakers called the All Good Collective, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. I am part of this group with a couple of other people you might recognize, like Leah Thomas, who's the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, Lisa, who's the founder of the sustainable fashion brand Mian Studios, and so many other amazing people that are doing really awesome things in their communities. Part of Albert's focus this year has been to empower their own members by elevating our voices, our work, and our stories. They really are on a mission to do things right. And if you'd like to check out the work of the other All Good Collective members, visit community.allbirds.com for upcoming events online and in real life. You can also follow them on social media at Allbirds. But... I'm going to give you a chance to seriously try out a pair of Allbirds with our monthly giveaway. So make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to find out how you can win a pair of Allbirds and see for yourself how freaking amazing they are and know that I'm truly, genuinely a fan. All right, back to the episode. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know that it's been an hour and I am super appreciative of your time. Is there anything that you want to share with the people? Any announcements yeah. or things you have going on? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Like, I gotta mean, do self-plug. <laughs> For anyone listening, 
you can check out the Brown Girl Green podcast, YouTube channel. I'm Brown Girl Green on Instagram. If you ever want to support me and my work on promoting environmental justice, you can support me at patreon.com slash browngirlgreen. Oh, and I have a Brown Girl Green newsletter if you just want some environmental justice info in your inbox on a weekly basis. And you can check that out at uh, bit.ly slash browngirlnews. Oh, yes. I love all these like very easy like links. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I, and don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally put them in the resources yeah. so that everyone can find them. And you can find Christy and you can 100% connect with her on all of those platforms. Chrissy, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate it. And this was also our first time that we've ever talked before. So yeah. I feel like it's really good. No, this is so cool. And I mean, if you ever like want to explore like going to the Philippines or any of those things in the future, just let me know. I mean, I know a lot of people who live out there who are like my friends who would love to like meet you and stuff. So just oh let gosh. me know in the future. Yes. <laughs> no, it's such a dream of mine to go. I really, really want to go with my mom because she hasn't been to yeah. the Philippines since she left the Philippines when she was six. She's wow. literally never been back ever. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it's going to be an amazing experience for you. And yeah, I mean, oh, I guess the last thing as another plug, anyone who's Filipino out there, I'm also part of the group Filipino. It's called Faces. I'm like, why is my brain not working right now? And it's a coalition on environmental solidarity. So it's like for Filipino Americans. Filipino-American Coalition for Environmental Solidarity, FACES. Oh, cool. Um, So you can check out FACES. We're like revamping the website and social media, and we're trying to like engage more Phil-Ams who, you know, care about environmental justice and want to get involved there. Ooh, that's awesome. Yes, I'm for sure going to link that also so that people can find it. Yes. Yay. Actually, and I'm going to send you a Filipino artist that I like super, super love. She, her name is Katie Lewis and she's been painting these like amazing landscapes of when she went to the Philippines to find her birth parents. She is actually on the podcast for season one, but like I fucking love Katie and she as like an artist has just grown so much over the past year and I'm, I think you're really gonna like her so I'm gonna send you her stuff wow so cool thank you so much please send me that info yes yeah thank you for having me this was such a nice conversation and I love being in community with other philams this is dope yes me too I was like it's so fun to like meet other Filipinos I didn't grow up with a lot of like Filipinos really <laughs> either other than my family you know and so yeah. I feel like it, whenever I get to like meet someone else that's Filipino and we get to yeah. talk, it just like feels like family. I don't know. It yeah. just feels good. No, definitely. And I know this this definitely won't be the last conversation. So thank you so yeah. much. And thank take you. care of yourself. Everyone else, take care of yourselves too and have a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. I'll talk to you soon. All right, y'all. That is this week's episode of Inbold Company podcast. And Let's get to how you can win this month's giveaway. So this monthly giveaway is brought to you by Allbirds. And all you have to do is take a second to leave a review on iTunes, possibly give us five stars, I hope, since I'm assuming that you really love this episode. 
And yeah, just leave us a genuine review and you'll automatically be entered to win a pair of free Allbirds of your choice. I will message you once I see your review. And if you do review us, make sure you just slide into my DMs and say hi so I know who it is. But that's it. I hope that you really enjoyed this conversation that I had with Christy. It was such a fun one and left me feeling super inspired. Like I said, today's inauguration day and I don't know y'all, this good juju, I'm just feeling it. I hope you are too. Whenever you're listening to this, it's going to be next week by the time you hear this podcast. So hopefully you've had a good week. I hope that you have. And again, please leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. It seriously helps so much and it really means a lot to me and our guest and just helps us bring more people on so that we can continue centering women of color and our stories and our experiences. So until next week, Women of Color Wednesday, (laughs) that is a new day for episodes and I'll see you then. Bye.